Well, if you turn in your Bibles now, we will be looking at John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. John chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. We have been studying the book of John for the past number of months, beginning of the year, and we come now to John chapter 7. Jesus had just finished his discourse on he being the bread of life, and now, at this time, there is a shift, a change, as there is a feast that is happening in Jerusalem, and we learn about the timing of our Lord Jesus and God's plan. John chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. The scriptures read, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. When his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowd concerning him. Some were saying he is a good man. Others were saying no. On the contrary, he leads people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. Let's bow together in a word of prayer before we begin our study this morning. O God in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, your precious word. For the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Your eternal word we give you thanks. We ask God, open the eyes of our heart that we might see great and mighty things which we do not yet know. In Jesus' name, amen. Like many teenagers, I couldn't wait to get my driver's permit. I couldn't wait to get my license. After all, I watched my brothers and driving seemed fun. My brothers got their permits and licenses at an early age, right when they were available for them. When I asked about getting my driver's license and my permits, my parents made me wait. They made me wait longer than the rest of my siblings. And at the time, I I couldn't understand why I had to wait. 
At first, they simply told me, well, you're, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. Later, I found out in their wisdom why I wasn't ready. From their vantage point, I was way too social. And I would have taken that car and gone out and spent the time doing other things and hanging out with friends, of which they were right. Because when I did get my license, that's exactly what I did. They knew better, but I didn't. And in retrospect, they saw that I was not ready, that my time was going to be any time, and the sooner the better. I selfishly wanted that license so I could have plenty of freedom, so that I could go where I wanted, do what I wanted to do, and hang out with my friends and not be at home, etc. They knew better, though. They knew better than to give it to me too early because I probably wasn't responsible enough. And that was the right call. And oftentimes, when I look at my life, that seems to be God's way of teaching me as well. Because oftentimes, for me, as I look back on my life, God's timing is always wait for this. God's protection of me was to protect me from my own foolishness. In fact, growing up, that was often my prayer. I would pray as a teenager. I would pray, God, protect me from my own self. Because I knew that I had a lot of things that I wanted, much of which perhaps were not the wisest. In the book of Genesis, we learn, too, about those that had waited and saw God's protection and God's provision later on. We look at the book of Genesis and we see a man named Abraham, who Abraham at the age of 75 was given a promise by God that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and as numerous as the stars in the sky, that God would give him a lot of children, a lot of descendants. God gave him that promise at the age of 75. His wife was 65. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited for God. And finally they decided, well, you know what? Maybe this isn't working, this waiting thing. We're going to take matters into our own hands. And so they decided, well, why don't you try surrogacy? And so Abraham did, and out came Ishmael, which was not God's way But then, in Genesis 18, we see some messengers come to Abraham. And they said that in a year, Sarah would have a son. That, those messengers came 24 years after the initial promise. Abraham and Sarah, it says in Genesis 18, 11, were old, advanced in age. And Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed saying to herself, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? After all, at that time, Abraham was already 99 years old. And Sarah was 89. But God responded, saying, Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at the time next year, and Sarah will have a son and She did, the age of 100, waiting 25 years, Abraham did, till he was 100 and she was 90, waiting 25 years for a promised son, whom she later named Isaac, 
whose name means laughter, Yitzhak, onomatopoetic name word meaning that which it sounds, Isaac. Often our plans, you see, are not God's plans because from God's viewpoint, he sees things differently. Often God's plans are not our plans. Proverbs 16:9 says that the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Even the birth of Jesus came at a particular time, for I'm sure that Israel would have wanted the Messiah to come much sooner. But Galatians 4, 4 tells us, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. The time was ripe for Jesus to come, to be born into the world as God incarnate. At just the perfect time, for Rome had brought the Pax Romana, the peace across the empire. Rome had built the roads by which missionary tr missionaries could travel easily. Rome had come and they had unified much of the world into one language. And Jesus was born at the right time so that the message of Christ could spread. God's timing is always the best. Because from his vantage point and his wisdom, God's timing is ideal. And that is the lesson that these brothers needed to learn. These brothers of Jesus, that God's timing, God's means, God's timetable, God's plans are always the wisest and always the best. And we see Jesus reveal himself later on. But we see here in verses 1 through 9, that man's plans and man's timing often doesn't coincide with God's. The phrase, after these things, that it says so in verse 1, after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, meaning after his discourse. But between chapter 6 and chapter 7, there is a, there is a time of six months. There's a time of six months. Remember, he fed the 5,000 and then he walked on the water and then he gave his discourse about being the bread of life and people departed and they left him. They abandoned Christ because he began to speak of how they needed to fully embrace him and they couldn't commit to what he was asking them to do. They began to reject him. They didn't quite know who he was and there were plenty of people who were skeptics and doubters. But in that intervening six months between chapter 6 and chapter 7, the other Gospels re re refer us to the idea that Jesus began to spend more time with his disciples. He began to spend more time with his disciples. And here it says that there was a feast. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And verse 2, the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Six months later, the feast of booths, also known as the feast of tabernacles, had come. This particular feast was a very popular feast. There were three feasts by which all of the males had to attend. They were required to go to Jerusalem to attend. There was the Feast of Passover or the Feast of Weeks, also known as that. Or the Feast of Weeks, the Passover. There was the, known as the Feast of Weeks, also known as the Harvest. And this one, the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, which came five days after the Day of Atonement. 
And this Feast of Tabernacles was perhaps the most popular, as I mentioned. It was a very celebratory feast. It was a very Thanksgiving-oriented feast because it commemorated the time that they came out of Egypt and when they were wandering in the desert, they lived in these booths made of sticks and branches and God took care of His people in the wilderness and moved them from being a nomadic, impoverished people to one of a stable, affluent people when they were wandering in the desert. The Feast of Booze, it was celebratory. It was almost like Thanksgiving, except it wasn't one day. It was an entire week of Thanksgiving. Full days, a lot of people would come. And his brothers say to him in verse 3, Look, go and show yourself that people may see your good works, what you are doing. Because you know what? If anybody's going to be a figurehead in the world, they better be open in public. Go and do these things. Go and show them the miracles that you have been doing. Why don't you feed them perhaps like you did the 5,000 over there? We don't know why they said this. We do know that they had not yet believed in Him, verse 5. Maybe they were trying to promote Him and say, well, you know, if you really are truly who you are, then do it again. We need more proof. Or perhaps they were thinking like the masses that He would be a catalyst for a messianic revolt that would come against Rome. Or maybe they were just hoping that He would regain Thousands of people who had departed just in the last chapter. Whatever the reason was, the brothers weren't believing in Him. Verse 6, Jesus says to them, My time is not yet, but your time is always opportune. Meaning that the time that Jesus was going to reveal Himself as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to die for sins, wasn't going to be during this feast. This feast was in the fall. It would be six months later at the feast of the Passover in which Jesus would ride into Jerusalem and He would be hailed by the people in which He would go and become a sacrifice for sin. Oftentimes, People wanted to reveal Himself, reveal who Jesus was. His mother asked Him to do something at the wedding at Cana. And His response was, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Or perhaps He would heal somebody and He would tell that person not to tell others. Why? Because He didn't want a premature confrontation. He didn't want people to push him into some type of role because it was not his time. The people who fed him, whom he fed, I should say, the loaves and the fishes, they wanted to make him king. They wanted to force him to be king. And perhaps his brothers wanted the same thing. And for them, the mantra was, there is no better time than the present. There is no better time than the present. Not for Jesus. Jesus was waiting for God's timetable. 
the mounting hatred of the Jews against him was going to build and build and build until they would bring Jesus to the cross. And so he sent them to the feast. He sent them to the feast. And as a side note, the NASB says, I do not go up to this feast. Whereas the NIV says, I do not go up to this feast yet. Or I do not yet go up to this feast. And the NIV is the preferred reading among the two options. Manuscript evidence is supporting of both. But the NIV is preferred because later on he does go up to the feast. Having said these things, he stayed in Galilee, but later on he does go up. And one of the lessons, though, that the disciples needed to learn was that their timing was not always going to be God's timing. Their plans were not always going to be in line with God's plans. And in the same way, when we look at our own life, when we look at our own desires, when we look at our own aims and our own goals, we wish that things would happen more quickly. We wish that someone would change more rapidly. We wish that our work would work out in a particular way. We wish that if life were planned out according to us, we would do this at this age. We would do that at that time. We would go here and travel there or work here and see our kids grow up to be like this or that. And many times it turns out completely differently. Many times it is not until years later, in retrospect, we look back and we see the hand of God move in our life. Many times we wish that things would be different now because we cannot see the future. We need to realize that God's sovereign plan, God's sovereign timing is so very much different than we would have imagined. And for us, we wish that change would come sooner rather than later. But many times it is God who wants us to wait for His timing. In a well-known passage in Isaiah, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles there, Isaiah chapter 55, a reminder from the Word of God about the thoughts of God. Isaiah chapter 55, the prophet Isaiah writes in verses 8 and 9, God declares in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Unquote. The people wanted Jesus to be king. His brothers wanted him to show himself. The Jews wanted to kill him now. But God in his sovereign wisdom and in his plans was not yet the right time. And so we see God's plans and God's timing in verse 10. His brothers went up to the feast and he himself later on went up, not publicly, but as in secret. They traveled to the feast, likely with a large caravan. Again, millions of people might have been going. According to verse 14, he arrived there after the commencement of the feast and his brothers likely had gone with a large crowd. He, by the time he arrived, the Bible indicates it would have been somewhere in the middle of the feast or so. And when it says that the Jews were seeking him, it's a reference to the Jewish leaders. They were seeking him, looking out for Jesus. Why? Because of the hatred in their heart. They wanted him dead. 
There was a lot of talk. In fact, Jesus was the talk of the town. Some were saying he's a good man. Others were saying, no, he leads people astray. And in actuality, both were not accurate. Jesus wasn't merely a good man. As many people today would think that Jesus was a good man, that he was merely and only a good man. They thought that he also led people astray, some were saying. And over time, in the history of Judaism, the second view of Jesus came to be dominant among the Jews. Second century apologist Justin Martyr wrote that the Jews, quote, dared to call him a magician and a deceiver of the people, unquote. Jesus was the talk of the town. Crowds had gathered, but they wouldn't publicly voice their opinions because the leaders had not made some sort of final verdict on whom they thought he was. But whatever it was, Their time, whether they were opposed or whether they were for Jesus, it wasn't Jesus' time yet. He traveled there in secret, as it were, without any fanfare, without any publicity, and he would teach later on in the synagogue. Later on, the time for Jesus would come. The time when he would ride on a donkey into Jerusalem six months later. So what do we see from this passage that we need to learn? We need to see, first of all, that God's sovereign timing is always the best. That God's sovereign timing is always the best. One of the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, is that He is all-wise. He is an all-wise God. In Romans 16:27, it tells us that He is the only wise God. Wayne Grudem wrote that, quote, God's wisdom means that God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. This definition goes beyond the idea of God knowing all things and specifies that God's decisions about what He will do are always wise decisions. That is, they always bring about the best results from God's ultimate perspective. And they will bring about those results through the best possible means. As we know in Romans 8:28, and God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. So no matter what happens in life, no matter what your difficulty is, No matter what sort of problems you may see, it is never something that is outside of God's sovereign control. Nothing that is too soon and God never moves too late. From the vantage point of God and His wisdom, no one ever dies too early or dies too late. Nothing happens that surprises God. God cannot be rushed and God will never be late. Nothing can thwart the plans of God. And God's timing is always the best. No matter what it may be, if you're waiting for that job, or you're hoping that your health will be restored, or you're waiting for that child to come, or you're waiting for marriage, or waiting to go home to be with the Lord, 
Maybe you're waiting for your spouse to change or your children to grow up. Whatever it may be, God's time and God's plan is always the best. Trust in sovereign, the sovereign wisdom of God. There's no need to worry. No need to be manipulative. No need to rush. No need to be anxious because God's sovereign plan is always perfect because He is all wise. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 reminds us of a second principle we learn for this text. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that there is an appropriate time for everything. There's an appropriate time for everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says, There is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event under the sun, under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. Time to love, time to hate, time for war, time for peace. And so on and so forth. Why? Because He, verse 11, has made everything appropriate in its time. God has made everything appropriate in its proper time. And the fact that there is an appropriate time for everything means that we ought to be patient and to wait for God to bring about His will in His way, in His plans. It doesn't mean to be idle, but we're to be faithful. I'm sure Job felt that way. Job was a wise man in the Old Testament, humble and wealthy. When God permitted Satan to take everything away, he took away his children, he took away his wealth, he took away his health, and he took away everything, turned his wife against him and his friends, blamed him for his problems. And yet, he was faithful and God blessed him for that. I'm sure Mary and Martha... And the New Testament felt that God could have moved a little quicker when their brother Lazarus died and they had called for Jesus. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She perhaps thought Jesus was late. But God is never late. For it was in the will of God that Lazarus would die. And it was within the will of God that Lazarus would be raised from the dead that the power of God might be shown. We may never understand why. We may never understand why things happen, why tragedies occur, why difficulties come. Why not now? Why not now? Or perhaps opportunities. 
I'm sure Esther, who ascended to the position of power and influence, it was by the hand of God and the timing of God that she had that opportunity and was blessed. And Mordecai said to her, for if you remain silent at this time, the time that the Jews were going to be slaughtered, relief and deliverance will arise from another place and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Everything has an appointed time. And it is God's plan and God's way that we can trust in the wisdom of God. For it is God who is sovereign and at work. For all things work together for good. Oftentimes we think things are not moving quickly enough. Our plans are not unfolding as we would have wanted. Our career is not happening like we would have planned and our educational goals are off track. Our children, our relatives, our spouse disappoints. Perhaps, whatever it is, our dreams are not coming to fruition like we would have planned. Years it will be when in retrospect we will see the hand of God moving sovereignly in our life we can give thanks to God. So now we trust in the wisdom of God. Now is the time to trust in His plan. Now is the time to trust in His purposes. For in His perfect wisdom, we commit our ways to Him, knowing and trusting that as the Scriptures have said, we know God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. God's plans and God's timing are always perfect. Let's bow together in prayer. Our God in heaven, we pray, Father, for Your forgiveness. Oftentimes, O oh God, we are impatient not trusting in Your will, not trusting, O oh Father, because we can only see what is now. But, Father, we know that You see the future. And You know, O oh God, what You have desired and ordained for our lives. And we pray, Father, that You would bless. Bless us with enough faith and trust, O oh God, that we might trust in Your perfect plan in your perfect will, that all things have been granted an appointed time. For your glory may we live. In Jesus' name, amen.